0: Welcome to the Working Dog Depot podcast with your hosts, Rich Harden and Howard Young.
1: Well, Howard Young, good evening from uh, Louisville, Kentucky to Shelby, North Carolina. Hope all is well. How you been doing, man? I'm doing well. How about you? Fantastic. I mean, you know, it's a little cold here. We've had a nice warm day in the 50s, and then the temperatures dropped. I think we're going to get down into the 20s again, so have a fire out here. The dogs seem pretty happy, so I, no complaints on my end. What about you? What's new on uh, the Howard Young front?
0: Well, we are facing a very busy week. It's going to be an exciting week, but it's a busy week. Pick up a dog on Wednesday down in Atlanta. It is a replacement dog, but it's from originally from France, but Coming out of Germany, it's a Belgian Malinois, and we are excited to get started. The handler is super excited. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone quite as excited as he's
1: been. I mean, I get text messages about I'm excited. Okay, I, well, I get. It. There's nothing, nothing better than having a handler excited. Oh, absolutely not.
0: He is, he is definitely the future of this
1: program. So, I mean, the only hiccup I heard there is that the dog speaks French.
0: Well. We'll work on that.
1: I don't know about that OPA stuff. I, I don't either. It's definitely going to be German. It it never sounds well when I say it in my Kentucky Hilljack accent. Well, it's going
0: to be Southern German
1: here yeah. for sure. <laughs> All right, cool. Very cool. Well, what else is going on? You said you had a couple things going on busy. week. Yeah, we
0: got uh, Cameron Ford flying in from Las Vegas for a seminar this weekend. We've got a boatload of people that have signed up, and uh, we're super excited about
1: that. Oh, that's awesome you know I've not personally met Cameron I don't believe I know he was on the the contract he was out in San Diego after I had gone on off the east coast but heard, I've heard a lot of great things about his seminar and hopefully maybe on the next one I'd love to get down and uh, and catch up yeah. and meet him and and it, enjoy that seminar. I hear good things about it so that's that's awesome yeah
0: we've got a second one uh scheduled for February but I went up last January to Eric Sandmbro's place and attended his odor pays seminar nice so it was good
1: yeah nice. cool well i know uh, you and i What in a, a two weeks we'll be in philadelphia at the police uh, seminar for uh, decoy school
0: yes absolutely that's uh, it's actually about 45 minutes from where i grew up so i am i'm excited about going back a
1: little, little stoked okay well make sure you find us a good place to to stay so we don't get our cars <laughs> Well, cool. Well, hey, t- tonight I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I got a really good friend coming on the podcast. He's a local dog trainer. And, you know, when I, I know when I say that, people are going to say you're having a local dog trainer that's, quote, in air quotes, your competitor. And you're absolutely right, because John Imler is a fantastic human being, a great dog trainer, really deep into psychology of dogs and humans. And, you know, he's got a great company. He's done a, a great I've seen a lot of his dogs and they look great. And uh, you know, me and John, we we uh, we refer people to each other all the time, and it's uh, it's weird when you're talking to a client and they're saying, "Did you just recommend another dog trainer?" It's like, yeah, you know, if if you're looking for a dog trainer and we're not it for you, go check out John at Top Dog Training. You know, you're going to get along with John. He's a nice guy, great dog trainer. You just can't go wrong. And you know, instead of tearing people down in this industry, like we always talk about the the toxicity of our of our profession. You know, it's, there's enough for all of us. And if we just keep building each other up, there's plenty for all of us. So without further ado, John Emler, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks guys. Super honored to be here and uh super honored to talk to you guys. Awesome. Well, you know, Howard and I have a, a brand new podcast. You know what, when we've had a whole six episodes so far, so most people don't even know who we are. So just kind of introduce yourself. Tell us, you know, how, how did you get into dog training and, and, you know, Where where, where have you landed? Well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of this podcast. And I saw the past guests, and I came on tonight and I was
2: like, man, if this thing tanks, it's all because of me. (laughs) The past guests you guys met are are pretty awesome. No, uh, I'm a pet dog trainer. So my start was with a typical family dog grown up. Went went in the army, got out of the army, got my own dogs, problem dogs. And uh, at that point, the only issues, the only capable way I had to deal with them. Were books. This was the mid 90s. Then got married. Kids were young, so really didn't do much outside of family dogs. And then uh, when the kids got a little older, we got a family dog ourselves. And it just we wanted a couch potato dog, but you don't get the dog you want. You get the dog you need. Mm -hmm. And she was, she is, what she was back in the day, a a monster. Working full time in Fortune 500 company. My wife's working full time. Kids are in school, and it was just a, a recipe for disaster. So we really just had to, I had to change everything and just focus every bit of time I had outside of work, outside of raising kids, outside of being a dad and being a husband to the dog. And she excelled. She's amazing. And three years later I said, maybe I can do this for a living. Mm-hmm. That pretty much started. I had another dog in between then. And I remember driving out to a call I was working in sales and I was listening to a, uh, Mike Ellis' philosophy on dog training this whole one-hour thing—and <laughs> I drove home and told my wife, and I was like, "I think I want to dog, do dog training full time." She's like, "What is wrong with you? You're crazy!" Yeah. <laughs> and uh, talked to our vet. And next thing you know, I told my boss, "Hey man, I'm putting my two weeks," and he's like, "You're crazy." Yeah,
1: that was that was almost a decade ago. So. Yeah. yeah. So, did you do it uh, the traditional way? Did you go work for someone? Did you go to a school? How did you pursue your passion?
2: Yeah, so I was lucky because I had the the couple years before I went full-time as a trainer, I had my dog, I had my second dog, and a couple guys from work got together. And we were kind of just training dogs with each other, helping each other out, and taking my dog everywhere. And then I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this full-time, I want to go somewhere. Here's my opportunity. So I ended up going to a little school up in Ohio, National Canine. Okay. Did their course lived there? It was fun because it was like a vacation. My, like, mm-hmm. you know, my wife's stuck with the kids during the week. <laughs> I'm living in a little room, just dealing with dogs from six a.m. to ten p.m. And uh, it was great. Uh, came back and you know learned some good stuff there. Uh, made some good contacts. And then from there, it's just every opportunity I can to to learn something, to you know, pick brains. I want to do that. You know, somebody told me a long time ago in the military, your goal is to be the dumbest person in the room. Oh, and I've
1: been successful. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that is a good rule of thumb to have. So, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, I, with, I have, you know, coffee with John. We try to do it probably once a month uh, just to sit down and catch up. And it's, it's, it's cool to see the progression. You know, John talks about a lot of psychology stuff that he does. But like you, Howard, John is a lifelong learner. You know, he challenges himself all the time to learn something new, to to become a better dog trainer, not only to help dogs, you know, but to help people. Right. As we all know, it doesn't matter what we do with someone's dog. It matters what our clients can do with the dogs. Because if you can't transfer that information, then it's moot anyway, right? Right. And that's, I think John has done a really good job of trying to educate himself and move that. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what kind of courses you've been taking or or, You know what, what that road looks like. What have you been trying to do?
2: Yeah, so over the years, it's been uh, um, my facility's inside of the vet's office. So that's sure. you know, I have the basement. I joke around; they that, keep me. That's a, in a the captured basement. audience, John. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the good part about that is, if they have like a behavior problem, they'll just call me,
0: mm. uh,
2: come upstairs, hey, talk to John. He's here in house. So while I went in there thinking I'm going to do just pet dog. Typical stuff. It ended up going more into the behavior mod route, and you know, my goal was not really to go into behavior mod because I want to do other things. But typically, the way it works, we don't get to make that choice. You end up just uh-huh. picking up different things. So, working with rescues was a big part of it. I'm talking to vets, working with you know, actually a couple of vet behaviorists as well, uh-huh. um, which I know is is kind of interesting for us. These you know, uh-huh. tools, but I've done courses for uh, Doctor branches this course. Ethology course i've done a, like Shikacho's course kim brophy's course a couple other trainers some uh, uh guys working with them but yeah it, it's just pretty much anything i can do anybody i can sit down with and pick their brain went over and met my friend rich Harden on the night yeah or dog stuff but yeah just having the opportunity to pick brains as much as possible
0: so as i as I researched you and Facebook stalked you, I came across a couple of things that, that that were of interest. Obviously, was the um, the psychology aspect, but also the mental health aspect. And uh, I spent 22 years working in the mental health field before I actually went into teaching, and then I retired from teaching, and now it's now it's the dogs pretty much the focus. The but through that entire time was the training of police dogs. So I, I really was. Working two do- two jobs at once, so I found that interesting. But there were also some people that I I saw you had shared a post from D Holt. Yes. So I met D a few years ago, and also there's another gentleman, Mark Connolly, Mark and his wife Amy, and uh, so those are some folks that we have in common. It's really funny to me how this this big huge world sometimes becomes so small. And uh, we actually interviewed D on our first attempt at trying to do this podcast, and we had a great conversation. And uh, Rich and I weren't able to really get that off the ground, so we owe Dee an opportunity to do this again.
1: And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great yeah. conversation. Actually, it's just... But it's been two years. It's been two not, years. So much. Has we're procrastinators, John. We'd we, we, we would not procrastinate.
2: <laughs> I've heard you talking about this for a while, Rich.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. You know, when you have an idea, and then, you know, you have a friend or somebody. You know, because Howard and I have known each other for a long time, and we've always had great conversations. And that's what we want this to be. We just want to sit down with people that we respect in the industry, and 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 people we don't know and just have conversations because we don't pretend to know everything. We don't pretend to know that we, you know, we didn't start dog training. We, we have a great benefit of seeing thousands of dogs, which has helped us. I know it's helped me in my career over the last 25 years that, you know, when you when you get to the 8,000 dog number, that's a lot of dogs and a lot of dog poop, you know, so you, you can, you've you kind of seen things and you have a starting point for problems, just like you were talking about, you know, with behaviors, you know, you got into this and you had these behaviors well, you know, 25 years ago, I'm pushing my hat back on my head, scratching my head going, you know, I don't even know where to begin. And so now when I see these things, you have a place to start. And that's just the benefit of seeing thousands of dogs. Yeah, totally. It's, you know, you have that that place to start, but
2: everything is like, you know, if there's a fork in every road. Sure. right. Every time you do something, was well, then, okay, well, now that, now I got to do this. Now I got to do that. But the goal was always there. You know, you always wanted to, to finish that dog out. And we talk about the psychology part from a pet dog side, a lot of our clients come in with their own challenges. And, you know, you see that like in the pet dog side, you see that in the rescue side. So having that, you know, anytime I talk to another trainer, I'm like, yeah, you should really work that side as well because, Mm -hmm. I know, phenomenal dog trainers, amazing dog trainers. I have yet to
1: meet one that can teach a dog how to write a check. (laughs) So, you know, get good with the client. Absolutely. you bring up you bring up a great point, you know, with, with clients, that's uh, especially in the rescue dog world. And if you've rescued a dog, this is not a jab at anyone. So please be kind. You know, when you sit down with a client that has a rescue dog and the dog is, you know, two and a half years old, has all these issues, they'll say, hey, well, I rescued them. My follow up question is, well, when did you rescue that dog? Oh, when they were eight weeks old. OK, well, this is your dog. <laughs> it's not a rescue dog anymore. It's an eight week old puppy. You've raised this dog to this point, and these are the issues you have. It's, it's no longer a rescue. This is your dog. So stop speaking that over the dog, right? And it, it now is your dog. Let's move forward from there and, and make this dog have a better life in your home.
2: Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's balancing that side of it, The you know, dealing with the client, motivating them. Because, you know, especially doing private lessons, Thursday night at 9 p.m. when they're going to to do something, you're not there. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just motivating them to do everything that you're showing them to do. And then on the, if you're doing the board and train side, and, you know, at some point those dogs go home and they have to be able to, to continue what you're doing. Otherwise, you just get angry
0: client. Right. Sure. So our last guest, Dan Cliff, referenced whatever magic you put on that dog and you send it home, the owner has to know what to do. So, I mean, they're really, you can be the most fantastic trainer in the world, but if you don't educate, and I I run into the same thing in terms of my teaching new handlers, it's the same dilemma, is that you have to be exceptional at your ability to communicate what you need to convey to them, and and they need to be able to take what you've, you've given them and apply it. You know, I can't be there and hold their hand, nor do they have any expectation that I will, but... They they have to know what to do when the time comes. Yeah, for sure. That's you know,
2: otherwise, if you if you give them too much and you're constantly there for them, right, you will just be you know bombarded with calls and emails and everything like that. And you want to do that for sure, but at some point, you know, they have to fly the nest. They
0: have to right. Together. You know, and you know, it's funny. I get both types of calls. Most of the time hope, most of the time it's you know success stories, but every once in a while it's a situation that's come up that hey we need to we need to work on this. this is something that I faced that didn't anticipate but that's that's why we call it training right
1: <laughs> sure well well John, how, how do you handle that that what, what do you build into your programs to to help people with that process post training you know yeah, for, so- I know for me i I', I filled a, a call probably 50, 60 times a year that, you know, they're two weeks removed from training and they, they've called me and said, Hey, my dog just ran off. And I'll say, well, you know, what, what, what did we do? You know, what was the, what was the situation? Well, we went to the park or a football field and I put the dog in a sit stay and I took the leash off and I went 50 yards away from the dog and he ran off. And I said, well, why did you do that? You know, because right. we're still at a drop leash program, right? Or we're e-collar or, staying close, you know, that, that distance hasn't been covered and using that big dog training term of successive approximation, which is baby stepping this thing, right? Okay. How many reps did you do at 10 yards before you tried to go to 50 yards, you know? And I think they just forget the process because things look good and then they try to push the envelope and that's when failure comes. So what do you put in your programs to try to help people, you know, mitigate those things?
2: Yeah. So like the first thing I talked to them, one of the things in the program is what we call the four Fs. So training number one has to be fun. If it's not fun, you're not going to do it. And the dog's not going to do it, right? Um, it's not, it doesn't have to be ball butterflies and rainbows, but overall it has to be fun. I um, it has to be fair. Does the dog have a realistic chance of success in this environment, right? It, it, the worst thing we can do is go, hey, watch this. This might work, right? Mm-hmm. If you're saying that, it's probably not going to go well. It has to be functional. Everything we're working on has to make sense, right? Mm-hmm. You know, friend of mine, she teaches canine dance, or she does canine dance. I think it's crazy and ridiculous. That being said, she's having fun with her dog, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we're doing has to be functional. And the last one has to be flexible. They have bad days just like we do. And I think one of the big things there is uh, we know now that dogs get headaches. So, I mean, just thinking that right there, your dog could have, be having a horrible, essentially having a horrible migraine.
0: Mm. And,
2: you know, you're running up on the... On the stems, or you know, you put more pressure on that dog, and that dog's just like, man, I, it, it's not happening today. So reading your dog allows you to mitigate that. So having them think of that, and then you know, if it's a if it's a board and train, over communicating during the board and train, when the dog goes home, we're already scheduling our, our calls or excuse me, our, our lessons, I'm following them up during the week. And if they say, hey, I'm having problems, my first question is, how consistent are you? Mm-hmm. And if they start laying 50 50-50, like, well, you can't expect your dog to be more consistent <laughs> than you. You're right. So it's so, you know, giving him a little bit of tough love, but also supporting him.
1: Yeah.
0: I heard you reference STEM. So to me, that, that's, a, that's a clue that yeah. you fall within the balanced category. So I think it's important for people to understand that there are different camps of people. And I think, well, I know, Rich falls in that balance category. I fall in that balance category. But I think when I started, I probably was like way into the compulsion category. And that has has changed over the years. But tell me how you came to the conclusion or where do you see things as it relates to the different camps? So where I fit or just the camps in general? Explain the camps in general, if you don't mind. I mean, I because I, I know you're very well aware of them. Yeah. So, and I think it's been said in a couple of different, um,
2: you know, podcasts and things like that. But I think ultimately what we know is there are two very vocal elements in dog training. I mean, right. Typically, those are the far ends of the spectrum that I, I right. find. And the vast majority of us, of us are somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. I personally, you know, kind of, I use a lot of positive reinforcement to train right. things. I mean, you know, and and understand where pressure needs to be, but it's reading the dog, right? You know, you have to. The dog tells you, and I think that's where we mess up because I wish I could find a way to blur out a dog's neck so when we watch videos, nobody's looking at what, what are they wearing? Mm. You know, they're wearing. Just reading the dog,
0: just read the behavior.
2: Yeah, for sure. And at that point, it's like, okay, well, you can't say it's because of this, this, or that. Is the dog
1: having a good time? Is the dog doing okay? Is the dog clear about what they are being asked to do? <laughs> great, absolutely. You know, I know the technology is there somewhere. We ought to get one of those little little things that can fly around the videos. You know, the blurs out stuff like they do on a football game or whatever. Just that's a great point. That way, it does it gets rid of immediately the oh, I don't like this because of this collar or. you're doing this and i don't agree with that you know what's what's the dog doing read the howard always says it's a it's a great conversation read the dog in front of you yes you know yeah
2: and it you know when we start using when we get into the the quadrant talk i mean that's kind of where it gets really it's it's fun to talk about but Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know it's that lecture versus the lab right you can sit and talk about lecture all day long but until you walk into the lab and actually start doing You know, the, you know, the experiments, it's all lecture. I mean, it's all Yeah,
0: I'm sorry. I call it intellectual masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: goodness. Well, people, there's a lot of people that talk a good game. Uh, You know, the internet is full of that. The, uh, you know, the the, the social circles are, you know, but then those people aren't, most of those people aren't feeding their families. They have no idea, you know, what 5,000 dogs later looks like. And what what you can do and what you can't do. They have no clue. They just, someone said, hey, you shouldn't do this. And, you know, like, you know, an all positive dog trainer, no offense. But if you push on their butt, you're no longer all positive. That's negative reinforcement. So that's not positive. And if the dog doesn't sit, you don't give it the treat. So that's negative punishment. So you're not all positive already. You know, what you should talk about is the tools. And we can get into tools if you want to. But that's that's my take on that quadrant thing you know, I'll, I'll, I've had these challenges many times. It's funny that will people will come to my, my company and challenge us on training. And I'm like, okay, well, here's a dog. Tell to, to sit all positive dog trainer. And they're push on the butt. That's not, well, no. So whoa, 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 whoa. that's, that's not all positive. You can't push on the butt, you know, what, what do you mean? Well, it was positive reinforcement. That's what you said you do. So you can't do those things. That's and, and then like what? Well, that's there's a quadrant there for a reason. Yeah, you it happen. <laughs> Understand what you're talking about right before you start making statements. So, I mean, the minute you put a leash on that dog, you're out of that one. Well, you've you got a point. Thank you, sir. I
2: appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the interesting, you bring up a good point, Rich, and and I'd love to get you know obviously with with both of y'all's backgrounds, the interesting thing that we face in this industry is lack of standards. Mm. You can't say what a trained dog is. Nobody can agree. So until we do that, that, you know, I'm using air quotes, purely positive trainer that or that purely positive that person that went to a purely positive trainer and comes to us and says, my dog knows sit," And we go, OK, show us. And they literally sit. and The dog has the rear end on the ground for a quarter of a second and sits up. Are they wrong? Because their definition of sit, the dog knows it. So, I mean, that's, the, you know, until we have a solid set of standards as to what a trained dog is, we're going to face those problems.
1: Sure. Well, I agree. Well, so, so you're bringing up standards and, you know, the, uh, the, the, work, the sport dog world. You know, we, we talked about this a couple of days ago, if I, if I remember correctly, or it may have been this morning. I can't remember what I did 20 minutes ago. But, you know, the, sometimes I'm not the biggest sport dog fan. What they do have is standards. They're graded upon the dog must do the following in order to get a score, right? And that's what I like about that world a little bit is they do have a standard, you know, at our, at our company, we have a standard of what we say a trained dog is where we want the client to be and how we want them to progress post training and all those standards come into play. You know, when you, when you go to other places and they'll do, you know, I believe that there's four phases of, of learning in dogs. And we've talked about this a few times and if the dog is only in the first level of training or first phase of learning, which is acquisition and learning a new skill, then everyone can agree that that dog's not trained because it's acquiring the skill. There's no fluency or generalization. In other words, can the dog do it outside now? Can it do it when someone runs by? And I think that's what you're talking about. I I hope I'm getting that correct.
2: Yeah. Well, especially when we get into like, you know, legislation, Mm -hmm. right. And, And now we start, you know, whether they're talking about licensing or just you know what a dog trainer is. Right. Um, unless you have that that skill set. I mean if you hired an H V A C guy and he and I don't have heat and he comes over and he fiddles around with it and my heat turns on for three seconds, he goes, okay, you're good to go. <laughs> right. like, no, no, we're not, man. We gotta, you know, that's I have that standard. I can say, yeah, that's not fixed. But unfortunately we don't face that or we, we don't have that, especially in the civilians on, in the, you know, in the pet dog market.
0: Well, there's a degree of functional performance. I mean, it has to it has to perform the function, but it has to do it to, you know, fidelity. It can't just be this snap of the hand and it just happens and it's gone. It, it has to actually serve a purpose. So. Have you
2: sent the picture of the dog that's reactive dog and it has like a mask mm-hmm. on its face? It has, you know, like ear set of earmuffs, and it has like the jacket and everything, and it's like, you know, dog's not reacting, and I, yeah, because the dog is literally living, can't see anything, right? Yeah, for no, sure. sure, the behavior's there; it's not reacting. But is that a true indication of, you know, what you're trying to do with that dog?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's, it, and I think that's where, I mean, the industry not being regulated is a good thing because anybody can get into it and, and, and hang their shingle up. It's also a bad thing because there's, you know, you've seen other trainers, clients, and you're like, what is going on there? You know, mm-hmm. you know, so I me and Rich have talked about this. I think, um, he had a years ago, had a client from another trainer they I think their dog drugged them right past their old business the one time. Yes. <laughs> You know he's already graduated. He's level three graduated from this other trainer. You're like, wait a second. But yeah, it, it's it's just
0: a tough thing for the industry. Well, it is. I think you know we run into that with uh, some of the police certifications as well. There is some subjectivity. You know we've seen dogs that perform the tasks, but and yeah, they don't really perform them well. And you you know that if they're not going to perform them well in that environment, which is really a staged environment. We know full well that they're not going to perform the way they're supposed to when it really counts. And, then, and at that point, there's really a lot on the line. But I've seen those dogs pass because they perform the tasks necessary. You got to be honest. Like, you know, we talk about training younger dogs. This episode of the Working Dog Depot podcast is brought to you by our title sponsor, Fox and Hound. Fox and Hound has spent years creating the perfect formulas that are safe for our pups and contain many natural ingredients. They develop the highest quality products for all dogs and products for all dog lovers and their homes. Products range from scented candles to dog shampoo, flea and tick spray, stain remover, paw balm, and dog cologne. They've even developed a line for working dogs and their handlers. For you folks who are required to wear a vest while on duty, you should check out their vest spray. Folks, the Young Home has fox and hound products in every room. For me, it's really quite simple. The products are great, and they're made by great people. Order online at shopfoxandhound.com, or follow an order on Instagram at shopfoxandhound. fox and hound. For a 50% discount, use the WDDP discount code. Remember, man's best friend deserves dog's best products.
2: Right? People want to really hold, like a, a you know, six month old, seven month old, eight month old dog to a standard, and mm. we look at that dog and we're like, man, that dog's not even an adult yet. Right. You know, it's just don't train that dog, raise that dog. Mm. And then you, mm-hmm. you have that mindset change, when that you start looking at things differently. You know, people talking about one of the analogies I heard somebody say was, um, you know, you could teach explosive detection dog to do that job technically at seven, eight months of age, mm-hmm. would not trust that dog in real life. And this individual said, you know, I could teach my teenager how to defuse a bomb. I would not trust my teenager to defuse a bomb in real life because that would be the day they're like, you're ruining my life. I'm not doing this.
1: Because they don't know how to handle pressure. Right. The stresses of what's going on are when it's real, what is the handler feeling that's exhibiting or putting off a a vibe to the dog that a young dog might not handle? And
2: now go back to that, Rich. You have that dog, you have that client that the trainers trained that dog and said, they're good to go. And the dog knows it. If the dog doesn't do it, use more pressure.
1: And now you have someone putting a lot of pressure on seven-month-old, you know. Right. When the dog hasn't had the iterations to even understand the concept because they haven't generalized the, the training, right. you know. Which is conflict, right? Yeah, absolutely. All the time, all the time, every time. And, you know, and it's, you know, the American society, unfortunately, is always, I want things now. So, you know, when you have these puppies, everybody wants this. Again, I'll, I'll do our hair quotes that we talk about that. uh, I want my dog trained now. Well, you're you said it. You're raising this dog through a process to get a dog you can live with for the rest of your life, right? So you know, you you get a Labrador that's you know 16 weeks of age that you put in a training program. Well, we don't have maturity till two, two and a half. You know, something. I had a lab. Maybe he wasn't even mature at five, right? He was still acting like a puppy. You know, now was his training much better? Could he handle different things, different environments? Yes. But you have to put those dogs in those positions to understand that a sit is a sit in the training area, but it's also sit at the dog park when dogs are barking at you through the fence on the other side. And if you haven't had the iterations or the reps, then the dog will never accept what you're asking it to do because you haven't taught it to do it under that excited state. And that's a big failure. I think that's why training fails all over the place all the time, because we don't teach people how or the dog how to generalize that behavior that. It's any place, any time, any circumstance. It, now it's sit, no matter what happens. But we think because he can sit in a training place, you know, a nice, you know, we have distractions, there's dogs, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate. We have, you know, 25 to f- the 40 dogs at our academy every day. So there's a lot of distractions, but it's still in a place that structure was created day one, right? And now they have to go somewhere where they don't understand structure. And how do you teach a dog to do that? And that there has to be a process to help the client get to that level as well. And it's building those habits.
2: Essentially what it boils down to is habits. Yep. And, you know, the cool part we know about habits is, you know, if you don't do them, they're aversive. The the inability to do a habit is aversive. And we always think about bad habits, right? We always use the example of bad habits. Well, we never really talk about good habits. So like one of the easiest one is manners, right? When we're kids, we're taught to say thank you when somebody brings us a plate of food. And that happens throughout our life. And now I would guess that we go out to dinner. We all went out and sat down for dinner and the waiter our, brought our food. If I said, Hey guys, when this waiter brings our food, we all look at him and none of us say thank you. <laughs> we're gonna feel we're gonna yeah, it feels weird. Yeah, you know, and that's that you know, put that back with the dog. That's that dog that truly understands sit in multiple places. And somebody goes, Hey Fido, jump up here and jump on me and give me a hug. And that dog, no, and you see that kind of rear end of the dog just kind of drive into the ground a little bit. That's that dog, no, that feels
1: weird. Mm-hmm. That's what I should do. I'm, I'm supposed to be sitting. I don't get to do this anymore. Because the habit is great. That's, that's, a, that's a, great, a great thing to bring up to, to folks. that your Dogs are they're really big into uh, routines or, or, you know, habits, routines. Or, they're ritualistic. There you go. Dogs are ritualistic. And if you make it mean this all the time, no matter the circumstance, then that's what you'll get. But when we, as people, we have this gray world where we discuss things and talk about stuff, and dogs don't discuss and talk. You know, they're physical. They jump, pull, bark, bite, nip, you know.
0: And, uh, so it's funny. You know, the, the dog I have, is it can be difficult. And uh, so I get different canine handlers to take care of him whenever we go out of town. And I have routines. And actually, it's my wife that has set up those routines that work so so well. And it's you know, it's simply she calls him up on the deck. She has him sit. She marks it, gives him a treat. He immediately runs to his kennel and gets in. And he waits for an additional treat. So that's the routine. So I've tried to convey to these guys as they come to the house is look, because I know they've they've come before and they've gotten frustrated where he goes out and he's a he's crazy hunter. He hunts, hunts, hunts and they want to go. I mean, they've cleaned everything up. It's time to go. But they've deviated from our routine and he doesn't understand it. And they go to tell him. You get in the kennel? He goes, I'm oh, not today. <laughs> you didn't bring enough testosterone with you to get me in there. That's so, <laughs> so I've tried to convey to them, Hey, here's the routine. Here's the treat. Call him up on the, on the deck, give him the treat Mark it. send him. He will, you don't have to tell him he's going, he'll beat you to the kennel. He'll wait for you to get there, to close the door. So that's the routine. I said, you guys just have to follow it.
2: Yeah. It's a, uh... Pattern prediction and relevance. Yeah. It's when they can start seeing that pattern. And if that Mm -hmm. pattern they're seeing is relevant to them, big follows. Yeah. And that's where it's, it's really awesome. awesome. And conversely, we get those dogs that have, you know, we get a lot of dogs now that have, you know, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And how many times do you deal with a client and just put that client on a strict schedule? And a Mm -hmm. lot of that goes away because, you know, we know for that dog, the inability to predict what happens creates that anxiety
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah well you can see that in detection sometimes as well you know if you see a dog that's trying to figure it out and our inclination is to just let him let him work it out that's building anxiety sometimes it works out for us but sometimes it's best to just cut to the chase reset well
1: you know <clears throat> as being someone that loves detection i always think it's it's a <laughs> recipe right it's it's mm-hmm. odor response reward and nothing else you know uh if, if if my friend jeff franklin didn't teach me anything other than that <laughs> that is something he beat into my brain 20 20 some years ago it's odor response reward there's nothing else it's not show me it's not throw your hand up it's not get involved in this picture if the dog understands odor then it can't be anything other than that or you're going to start graying the muddy in the waters Right. And then you're going to get those things looking back. Is it here? And they're waiting for you to tell them, yeah, that's it. No, well, that doesn't work in the real world when it's a real high. You know, yeah. I think that's a great example. Great example. Yeah. Well, well, John, I know you're on the IACP, too, and I know you can only speak for what John Imler says. Okay, so I'm not asking you to speak for the IACP. But yeah. what do you see on the horizon with, with, with what's going on there?
2: Yeah, so um, I've been on the board. So I started with the IACP back in 2019, volunteering in the legislative committee. And that's when, you know, Howard mentioned Mark Connolly. Yeah, it's I worked with Martin. And we started there and we had a really strong legislative committee. I then moved to chair that committee. And then after that, I moved on to the board and I was director of oversight of that committee. So when we look at, at these committees, the, the committee is run by volunteers and that should drive. Everything that's going on It's volunteer driven. as director of oversight, I am essentially the liaison between the committee and the board. So I'm kind of letting them and kind of helping them understand, you know, what can be done, what can not be done, making sure that this is what you guys want and taking it up there. Um, And and leading if I have to or helping that chair. So my background in the legislative side, you know, so you guys know that, you know, the law enforcement background gives you a a little more ability to kind of look at laws a little easier. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was on there, we worked a number of different, You know, uh, legislation where, you know, in California they were trying to uh, um, regulate trainers and license them. One of the more interesting ones was uh, in the state of Washington. They were looking to redefine the term abuse and they wanted to redefine it as mild discomfort. You know, I'm like, you know, I was in 47 then. I'm like, I wake up in mild discomfort. Right. (laughs) Uh, So, working with the legislators to, to kind of challenge them and, and kind of, you know, help them think about what they're writing because they have no idea what they're doing often. Mm-hmm. It sounds good. So we're going to put that out. So that's what we did with the legislative committee. Currently I'm director oversight of the education committee. So I'm just responsible of, of putting the education out to the members. We, I was previous director oversight of European members committee. And then I helped get the protection sports committee up and running. Mm. And, and I, Told the chair, I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about this, but I will help you build this up, and, you know, be the, the conduit. Now uh, baby room Vargas is running that and he's uh, he's a competitor as well. So they're running that side. I'm just focusing on education. But Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the industry is crazy right now. It's mm-hmm. it, different laws are popping up. I know there's, there's laws in, in California looking to many colors in San Francisco. State of North Carolina is looking to ban the sale of e-collars, not technically the use. And these laws pop up left and right. And, and, and again, a lot of the legislators mean well mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they're getting sucked into a lot of the emotion and they think this will do it. But I think, you know, my opinion is it's going to hurt more because it's going to drive people underground. They're still going to use the tools. sure, But now you're just not getting, you know, good training. Mm-hmm.
0: Right.
2: Let's see. We said conference a couple months ago, uh, phenomenal, you mentioned D D hole. Um, yeah. She spoke at conference. She did a
1: presentation on her prison program. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of good presenters. I'm sure. Well, you know, when it, when it comes to tools, I, I'm, I'm going to, I can't hold my tongue. I can't help myself this evening, but you know, it's, uh, don't put a prong collar on a dog, but kill as many babies as I possibly can. I, I don't, I don't understand that at all. I just can't wrap my mind around it. You know? Yes. Uh, can any tool be abused? You know, the, the gentle leader that everybody thinks is so gentle that goes around a dog's muzzle, with, which is the most sensitive place of a dog, you know, all of his olfactory senses are there. I think that's probably a more abusive tool than a prong collar ever could be. And I just don't understand the mindset between the two. I really don't. I know it's a, I think, again, you you said the word emotions. People get caught up in emotion. They just don't understand how to use a tool correctly. Now, I have two clients right now or a, a one client that, that they have two. Dobermans, And, you know, so we started them and they needed to learn about pressure because they're adult dogs they're big dogs. One was very reactive, uh, you know, actually has a, a, a little bite history. And so we're using a prong collar to teach it pressure. And so their place where they get the dogs boarded said, oh, I, I can't stand prong collars. I can't believe that you would do that to your dog. Well, six weeks later, through private instruction, they were talking today. These dogs have never been better in their entire life. understand how to use the collar they understand how to fit the collar they understand what we're teaching about how the the dog learns to turn that pressure off just by coming close to me you know they're not their ears aren't down their tails aren't down they're still happy and doing their thing you know they're getting positive reward for doing doing behavior we're treating them for recalls and sitting and and all that stuff and uh and i asked i said well what does that person say now? Because they bored the dog. You were just out of town over the holidays. And they're saying, oh, we, we can't believe what a change that, that's in these dogs. How good they are and how how well-behaved they are. But we still hate prong collar.
0: Because well, well, yeah. they look barbaric. I mean. Of course they do. I mean, they, yeah, they can't make it look nice. No,
2: you cannot. You can't. Oh, so here's a good one, Howard. What if we took a prong collar, painted it in pastel colors? Right? Yep and so like the gentle leader i mean the gentle leader i forget what it was called when it first came out but i think it was remark it was marketed differently and then it changed if my mm. remember is correct but if we took that brown color painted pastel colors and changed the name to acupressure neck collar mm. all of a sudden now it's like wait a second right so with the general leader we both we all know that it's not gentle right right but
1: again it looks like you said, Howard. It looks barbaric, and 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 hey, let's just put it out there. It says gentle, so let's just believe it, right?
2: But at the same time, if you look at a snaffle bit in a horse's mouth, right, it's not pretty.
0: So I've got one of these collars, and I can't remember the name of it. It came out of Minnesota. It has the prongs, the typical prongs, and it has material that's that the prongs rest in, and it's not quite as effective because it doesn't give the same type of action necessarily but it is definitely disguised and i think that was probably the intent yeah i think Um, that's from leerberg weren't they doing that they may have done that this one is made by a lady in minnesota and i was given one and i've I've used it on some dogs it's it's got a nice cobra buckle on it to attach it and it's pretty pricey but again i think it was an attempt to kind of disguise the the barbaric look of of a prong collar or pinch collar
2: like one of the things I tell my clients is I'm not going to put a collar in your dog. You don't agree with Sure. Right. Right. And, and if well, you're not gonna be abusive says, either. Yeah. If, if somebody says, I don't want to do that, I want to use this flat buckle collar. Okay. Well, it's going to be a lot of work, right? You're going to have to really, you know, control everything. And, and re- especially if it's that dog that needs something else, obviously right collar for the right dog. But if we're talking, Hey, we need something a little more to give you a mechanical advantage
0: and they don't want to do that. Okay. Well, it's just going to be a lot more work. Right. So, I mean, you can choose power steering or not power steering. Exactly. Well, I mean, I think
1: <laughs> in, in the big picture, I think we should look at, you know, a tool is a crutch, mm-hmm. right. To get you over things. And the, and the goal is to train away from that tool, right. To get, to get rid of you, you, We all want our dogs to be, you know, quote off leash, but you know, can you always have your dog off leash places? And the answer to that is no. I hear people all the time. My dog does so good off leash. Well, you can't go off-leash in the city of Louisville. I'm sure there are places in Shelby, uh, North Carolina, that you can't have your dogs off-leash. That is not legal to do that. And so the dog has to understand manners and has to be able to leash walk and and not be reactive and walk by your side on a loose leash. And if you don't teach a dog to do that, then you can't go to those places. Or I guess you can just keep them at the house and not go anywhere. I guess that's an option.
0: Or you can go to a dog park and any manner of things could happen. (laughs) So you bring up a good point there, Howard. Um, We have a
2: big dog park community here in Louisville, and there's 5,000 members. uh, Wow. And I've been working with them since 2015. Now, there's been different iterations of of management there, Um, but at one point, we wrote down the protocols of how it should work. Right. And any member should be able to take a picture of a dog, or if there's an incident they could call that dog then gets evaluated. Mm. And then I back, this is back when they were doing it more often. I would then report to the board and say, Hey, this dog is just wild. The owner does have control. This dog needs training. And then they have the ability to make the, the, the member get their dog trained. It doesn't have to be through me. It can be right. through anybody, but the idea is to point out to that member, Hey, you're responsible for
0: this. Right. What you were describing is regulation though. I don't I don't know that that anybody has even considered they're building one in my town. And uh, thank goodness nobody has asked for my opinion about it. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't I really don't think that it's been thought through yeah. very well. Because it, it does require regulation. And I just I just imagine all sorts of crazy things happening.
1: Well, you know, the biggest thing I see is owners don't watch their dogs and don't listen to different noises the dogs make, and they don't manage the issues. They think it's just a free-for-all, and next thing you know, there's a dog fight, and they're like, oh, oh my gosh, Fluffy just bit someone. And you're like, you know, you have to (laughs) – I guess the the biggest thing that I hear all the time through through whether it's dog parks or training or, or behavior issues, people will say, well, my dog is doing this. And I go, okay, well, why are you letting your dog do that? They'll say, what do you mean? Oh, well, You're the human, and you have to stop that behavior. If you're not stopping that behavior and manage it, the dog's never going to change behavior on its own. You can't sit it down and talk to it and say, hey, okay, Fluffy, don't do this anymore. This is not good behavior. The dog doesn't understand. You have to oh. manage behavior. The longer you manage it and go without incident, the better chance you have of changing who that dog is. That's how it works in the dog world, period.
0: Well, you could have an almost harmonious – situation going on at a dog park and someone produces a ball. Yes. That could change the entire dynamic.
1: Absolutely. A stick. Or somebody oh. shows up with lunch. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm to I eat my tuna sandwich I mean, out of the dog park and next thing you know, you're eating over a tuna yeah. sandwich.
0: Yeah. Oh
1: there
2: was an incident here that happened here and I think we talked about it, Rich, it was a couple years ago, but uh I was working with a client outside of the dog park and I see People pull up and they're getting ready to walk in and they have the dog and this dog does not want to go in the dog park, right? Mm. Front legs out, not going in. And they're like, you know, come on, Fluffy, you need to go in here. And they're literally dragging the dog in. So they go into the, the little bullpen area and they take the leash off the dog and then they open up and they go into the actual dog park. Well, young adolescent German Shepherd, you know, super social dog, comes running up like, hey, man, welcome to the party. And that dog reacts right and it, it mm. snaps at the german shepherd this the dog was like a, a cocker spaniel wasn't that big mm. the german shepherd was like no dude you picked the, <laughs> fight with the wrong dog right so then of course the fight happens they separate them they take their dog they take their dog out the dog had to go get you know get to see a vet but what happened was later on you know we let i left with the client but uh they called the police and mm. the client with the german shepherd was cited for failure to control their dog inside of an off-leash dog park. Wow! And when, when and the it, German Shepherd did not start it, correct? And ended up, you know, going to uh, um, I don't know if it actually went to court, but I ended up writing, uh, you know, basically a witness statement of what I saw. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, there was there was control, right, mm-hmm. just to a certain extent, but also you're inside the dog park, right? It was. Uh, and how much yeah,
1: control do you really have, right?
2: Right. So. <laughs> And I know you get this rich clients come to you and they say, take my dog to the dog park and we go there five times a week and I go, okay, how's your recall? And they go, Oh yeah. I tell Fido, come on, let's go. And I hold the leash up and I go, come on, Fido. And it takes us like 20 minutes. Right. And I Mm -hmm. go, if you took your five-year-old to the park and you (laughs) say, come on, let's go. And you spent 20 minutes chasing your five-year-old around the park. Would you go back? Mm. And again, we go back to that motion. I feel bad being at work all day. I want to take Fido to the park because they can run around and act like an idiot and have fun. And I just feel bad. Mm-hmm. But instead, you know, I think you mentioned a few minutes ago, rich um, people say my dog does well off leash. And there's a difference between a dog that does well off leash and a dog that is off leash trained. Yes. And if you train your dog off leash, then the world's your dog park. As long as laws permit you to be off leash. Sure. And I think that's where, you know, talking to my clients, it's like, yeah, train your dog to be off leash. And then, go to a place that's you're allowed to let your dog run around let your dog run around and
1: enjoy life. Yeah. Well, very cool. Very cool. Well, anything else on the horizon that we should be looking for in the, uh, legislative world or what, what's coming down the pipe is, uh, that may be a concern for us. Yeah. So, I mean, those
2: two, the, the California law and then the New York law, there's some stuff going on in Australia and I know you guys are global. You guys are worldwide. Mm So when you do your working dog depot, World tour, but there's some stuff in Australia going on, and you know, there's always things going on in Europe, but yeah, you know, get involved. And, and you know, when, one of the big things we look at, especially in, in the IACP, is every individual trainer should know their own back what's going on in their backyard because by the time you know it's getting run up the flagpole, then it might be too late. If you have those local relationships with legislators. Then that helps you mitigate things, especially if you have a working relationship. A good example is Joe Parks. If you know him, he's I think one of the regional directors of PSA, but um, he's up in Ohio. They did a a trial a couple ago, and they were doing one of the scenarios, a carjack scenario, but they had the police chief's car, (laughs) and the the mayor was there and witnessed the whole thing. It was great because you're seeing well trained dogs do what they're designed to do, but at the same time. You're seeing those dogs really just hang out with people. So at that location, you know, if somebody comes to that individual and says, oh, we should, you know, ban this tool or do that, that person's probably going to have a call to, to Joe and say, hey, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Um, so getting that connection with local legislators is key. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's, that's my advice for any trainer out there. You know, reach out to your local legislator. Talk to them. Talk to your vets. Not enough trainers. Not enough pet dog trainers. Talk to vets. In my opinion, uh, and I think you know, I have a good relationship with a number of vets. But yeah, you know, talk to those individuals, talk to vets, talk to other pet professionals. That's what we need in this industry—that that connection. Yeah,
1: I would agree with that. Well, John, how do people connect with you, man? Give us uh, your your social handles.
2: Yeah. So, um, Top Dog Training, Kentucky is uh, the the um, pet dog side. Pro dog trainer mindset. We really didn't get a chance to talk much about that, but that's cool. One of the big things there is just you know helping out the human side of things because you know you guys talk to each other and we all talk and, and we know the the good trainers that that are good for the industry. Just building more of that so we don't let trainers go down that the rabbit holes and, and fall into the the toxicity and just kind of you know make the thing a little worse. But those are the other those are the two projects I have going on.
1: Well, well, I'm sorry, I, I didn't really hear the second one. I, I know we've talked about it, but tell us a little bit about that. Pro side there. What what is yeah,
2: that? So, you know, obviously there are a lot of phenomenal dog trainers out there, amazing dog trainers. And if somebody wants to, you know, learn a lot about dog training, amazing people to go to. But you know, what I've seen in, in talking to some other people is on the on the human end of the leash, you know, there there's there's not as many resources out there from individuals in this industry. And it's good, in my opinion, it's good to have a dog trainer that someone that understands the industry part but also looks at the other side from a coaching perspective and you know the good thing about you know, being in the military and law enforcement and you know other positions this this industry is very similar to that right because from a law enforcement perspective you're seeing people with problems on a daily basis yes right and and nobody calls you to have because they're having a great day <laughs> right? that is true When somebody comes to bring their dog to you nine times out of ten it's not because their dog's perfect Uh their dog's lunging at someone or you know having issues or destroying something and it's causing stress in the family you know and so they come in with with their own kind of issues as well and these dog trainers hear it over and over again and you know you take that home and if your spouse isn't in the industry well they hear you kind of just don't so it's, it's trying to work on, the, on the, the human end of the leash a little more. And I know when I did that, there's a lot of different approaches and, and phenomenal. Coaching is kind of like, there's enough dog trainers to go around. There's enough people in this industry to go around with all the coaches. But I know when I wanted to do it, I wanted to, to find a good scientifically backed framework to draw from. So essentially that's what we're doing. I'm a huge fan of mindfulness and not in a kind of a spooky hippie way. right? But okay. just really, you know, focusing on mindfulness and just looking at, you know, all the all the good things about just, you know, being just finding some happiness out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever heard of uh, Tal Ben Shafar and uh, he's a professor at Harvard, he runs the Harvard's most popular class and it's the happiness class.
1: Mm. Um, yep, I have heard of him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it, it, he has a cool story. Where he talks about the first time he taught it. He put it out there and I think eight people signed up and they're like, okay, do you want to have this class or do you want to cancel it? He's like, no, no, we'll go ahead and do it. So they did it. But then the next semester, it was like a waiting list, but he uses, and this is, he has videos on it, but he uses what's called the spire model. And, you know, the the way he, he describes it is when you look at like light, it just looks like one color. But if you look at it through a prism, it breaks into different colors. So when you're looking at, you know, essentially how to. Just interact daily in life. He breaks it down into five areas. And it's uh uses um, aspire as the as the, the analogy with the acronym. And it's have some type of spiritual element that doesn't not specific to any one religion, but just something spiritual, the world's bigger than you, some type of physical element, right? Get out, move around, walk, do things, some type of intellectual pursuit, learn things, constantly work your brain, have good relationships, right? Work on your relationships and have some emotional connection, right? You know,
1: you can't just be a robot and function well. Well, well, Howard's very emotional. He cries a lot. (laughs) Sorry, I I couldn't help myself. That's that's a great point. I like that, John. It really is. That's a a great pursuit, man. I'm interested to see how that, you know, moves forward for you. I'd I'd like to hear some some stories about that one. Well, we got to do something about, you know, people in this industry,
2: right? It's, you know, Mm -hmm. we all, you know, We
1: all know it, and just reach out and talk to each other. What we need to do? Uh Yes, sir. Absolutely. We'll coffee soon then. Yes, once again. We'll Skype in with Howard. Yeah, that'd be great. I would
0: appreciate that. It'd
1: be nice. Well, if we didn't, he would probably cry. (laughs) I
0: may cry anyway.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, John, man, hey, thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate you and and uh. Can't can't say enough good things about you. And if you guys are in the in the Kentucky area, you know, check out John. Great dog trainer. Highly recommend him. Yes, I know it's he's a competitor, but whatever. Go go check him out anyway, man. And if you don't like John, come see us. We'll we'll help you. Uh, go to Rich first. <laughs> <laughs> well, super honored. Super honored to be on this, guys. Like I said, I'm a you know, huge fan of both of
2: you guys. I followed you both and, and you know, I love to, to
1: pick brains. So get ready awesome well you're always welcome man you're always welcome great conversations all right well a great conversation with uh john Immler. i think that was a great episode personally again great dog trainer just love the guy to death man super nice guy been uh having coffee with him for for several years now but tonight folks back to our bourbon tasting howard has picked angel's envy which is not a bad choice i know we've already tasted angel's envy rye but tonight we're just going with uh Angels envy the cask strength, I believe. It's uh, 119 proof, so it's a little got a little heat to it, but quite tasty, if I might add.
0: It is tasty. I, you know, I didn't realize it was 119 proof, but I see that on their website, so I didn't really feel like it was quite that hot, but it is.
1: Well, um, no, no, to be so uh, to be that proof, it is still a pretty smooth bourbon.
0: Absolutely. Says the nose begins with hints of leather, brown sugar and caramel, followed by cream brulee, marshmallow, green apple and citrus orange. <laughs> well, my palate just isn't quite that sophisticated.
1: Oh, my mine either. Brown sugar, caramel, maybe a little leather. I get that.
0: Yeah, I haven't had I haven't eaten much leather lately, so I don't know. Just the, the um, smell of leather is what I'm going with. Yeah. Out. Gotcha. Well, it does say nose, so I'm I'm tracking finishes slight fruitiness and grape tannic notes with a fingering with lingering spice that's good i mean angels envy is one of those that can be a little tricky for us to obtain here in north carolina but it is easier to get than anything from buffalo trace yep but we can find it now it's funny i i got the angels envy rye and the backstory on that was is that I was going to get some for a friend for his birthday, and um, I didn't realize how much it cost. And uh, <laughs> I brought it back home, and I thought, "Oh, I don't think he he's." We'd appreciate this, so I'm going to keep this and get him something else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is a good way to add to your barbering collection. <laughs> well, <laughs> Under the guise of, I'm buying it for somebody else, sweetie. Yeah, I mean, but he's gonna...
0: a novice. He won't appreciate this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But angel's Envy, guys. Give it a try.
1: All right. Well, Howard, here's to the hair of the dog that bit you. Absolutely. great episode. Enjoyed our conversation as always, my yes. friend.
0: Thank you, buddy. Talk to you
1: later. Yes, sir. Delicious. Good night. Thanks so much, you guys, for following along, supporting us, and listening to these wonderful conversations that Howard and I are just blessed to have each and every day. We'd like to thank and support all of our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and our military for once again holding the line, keeping us safe. Stay safe, brothers and sisters. We love you. God bless, and God bless America.